This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. Today we're recapping and discussing episode 8, the final episode of the Percy Jackson Disney Plus show season 1. This, this, uh season went so fast but also i feel like we've been talking about the series for so long years at the actually. same time yeah, yeah it's true but like the show adaptation also years we've been talking about it <laughs> so it's really weird that this is the last episode and now it's like it's all done i mean hopefully not because hopefully there will be seasons two through five yeah i hope so too but it is weird because we've been just tuned in since the beginning and I feel like a lot of times TV shows for me at least just kind of pop out of nowhere where like yeah I know about it when I see a trailer and then it's like usually a trailer means it's coming in a month or two but this one has mm-hmm. been like been following along with the casting even when they just announced that it's been picked up and greenlit like we've been like following the news for such a long time to finally not only have it come to fruition be able to watch it it's ended and like wrapped up for the season it feels kind of surreal it also feels like it went by super fast it just was done in a month like eight episodes this thing that we've been waiting for years for is wrapped up in eight episodes yeah oh my gosh it is very reminiscent and maybe this is just because i haven't been like i'm sure this happens but it is reminiscent for me of like the the glory days of like fandom movies harry potter midnight premieres Mm. hunger games midnight premieres following the casting and all of the press beforehand it reminds me of doing that and I haven't had an experience where I've followed a a show or movie so closely in a while and I used to do that a lot so it's cool I really hope I mean the reason that like the movies and the shows at that time felt more fun to follow too is because we were guaranteed the movies and so we were just Mm -hmm. waiting for the next one to drop And we knew that it was already filming. We had a guarantee that all five or whatever Hunger Games were going to come out in the time that they were supposed to. And this is feeling a little less, a little more lackluster when it has the possibility of being canceled halfway through. Oh my gosh, it's so scary. It's not as fun. Yeah, I hate that that's the way TV is and that shows just get canceled for like, Despite viewership, despite an active fan base, they can still get canceled. Oh, we it's need to take down take down the big the big guys. Yeah, to make those decisions. Just like green lit green light like a whole s- series if you're going yeah. to dedicate time to do so and then do it well. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a guaranteed money maker. They were able to make six thousand Avengers movies. I think. That oh they my can god. Make- <laughs> they can like make Disney, come more. on! I yeah. know, and every single Star Wars character is getting its own TV show. I like, know, I know. Oh my god, I can't even keep up. So no, 
give Percy Jackson the same, the Star Wars treatment. And who knows, maybe when this episode comes out, we're going to have a better announcement. And I hope so. Yeah. But I, regardless, I hope that it's not like, okay, we have season two, but what about season three? And this whole song and dance we have to do. It's almost like blackmail from Disney to like keep watching or else we'll cancel your show. I know it gives me so much anxiety. I'm yeah. But regardless of that background anxiety going on, I really did enjoy this finale episode and the series as a whole as well. And I'm excited to talk about it. Okay, before we dive into the episode, I want to say PSA to everyone. If you did not watch the scene after the credits or did not know that there was a scene after the credits, pause our episode right now and go do that. It was so fun. I'm really glad that I stuck around after the credits to watch that. I often pause after like once the credits start rolling and exit out. So I thankfully watched this one. And if you do not know that, or I'm sure it's circulating on social media by now uh, to go and do that, because we will be chatting about the after credits scene. And it's perfect because I wouldn't have watched unless you you texted me to let me know mm-hmm. to, to watch it or else I would have skipped it as well. And it, it's a fun one. I think it wraps everything up nicely. Yes. So I'm excited to talk about it. So this episode aligns with chapters 20 through 22 in The Lightning Thief. And so it's our episodes 8 and 9. Yep. Indeed. All right. Episode summary. Can't give a lot away. So here we go. Mount Olympus beckons and Percy must face his greatest battle yet. I love Mount Olympus beckons. So ominous. And the dot, dot, dot that they include. Wow. (laughs) I also love the idea of like, it's so vague about his greatest battle yet. I would argue that his greatest battle was not the Ares fight that we see in the spot, but at the end with Luke, because I'm sure that was a lot more emotionally and physically devastating. I agree. I agree. I think that was more, it might not have been as physically as intense of a battle, but... More but it was because emotional. Luke was able to draw blood. Ares was never able That's to draw true. blood. Take that, Ares. Luke yeah. is better than you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we start, we open up with where we left off in the last episode, where basically Ares and Percy are face to face. So we're about to have the battle that we've been gearing up for. We've been waiting for. Walker's talked about it. As a, even though it is a spoiler, <laughs> technically. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's been, it was really fun to watch, but I love the way that, so in our chapter, in the chapters, um, Percy does call back to Luke's training and the way that Luke mm-hmm. talks about battling, but we get to see that for ourselves where he flashes back to this intimate moment in the woods with Luke and Percy and Luke is teaching Percy about fighting and he's practicing sword play. So we get a little bit of the thing that I was complaining about where like Percy just kind of gets sent on this quest and we don't know if he's a good fighter or not. Whereas in the books, we see Percy just immediately be a great sword fighter. And so we have that established already, but this was a great way to be like, Hey, he did have some training. He's not going into fighting areas. Mm-hmm. We have never held a sword except for when on this quest. Yeah, exactly. And I thought it was a good way to bring Luke back to the viewer's mind and establish him as someone who's like a mentor to Percy, who as Percy's fighting Ares, he is thinking of the training that he got from Luke. 
And it's also really fascinating because Percy on the shore is confronting Ares about his involvement and manipulation by Kronos, while simultaneously we have these flashbacks of Luke, who we know was also manipulated by Kronos. And, but it's not being portrayed that way yet. It's, it's showing Luke as someone who taught Percy how to fight. And Percy brings up a good point where he's like, I think it's a great, like, so I take a boxing class. That's my form of exercise. And it's really fun because every time I mention it to someone, they're like, oh my God, you can box. Like you can fight someone. I'm like, no, I can punch a bag. <laughs> when you're like, I've done like a, like a sparring or a small group session and you're like fighting another person. Like it's completely different. You can have all the training in the world, but like street fighting versus like, for example, a controlled environment is so different. And Percy really understands that because he's like, why do I need to know all these like conditioned dumb moves? Monsters are just going to bite me or throw a poison. Like, what is the point? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Luke says to that, he's like, warfare is rules, basically. But I thought that that was uh, an interesting callback to Annabeth's dialogue in some of the earlier episodes about her mom and about how the gods have rules and we have to follow them. Luke is operating from that idea as well, except we know that Luke isn't saying we have to follow those rules necessarily from later on, but more so use them to manipulate the gods or to get what he wants. Which is, I think, a great tactic, because if you have... Yeah. If you're in a society where the rules are stupid, might as well use it for your own advantage. How can you bend the rules to make them fit you and your purpose? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So Percy's like, okay, rules um, aren't real and they are real at the same time. So he challenges Ares to single combat. Ares is not interested in fighting Percy. So in this is a different... This is different than in the book. In the book, Ares is like monologues about his evil plans. <laughs> yeah. And then is like, now you know my evil plans, so I have to kill you. And then Percy like immediately has quick thinking. It's like, how can I protect my friends? And also he's mad as shit about being manipulated. So he's like, okay, let's throw down just me and you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's definitely coming across as uh, having the upper hand a bit here when he sets the the stage for single combat with Ares. Which is also good because I know you had the question, or I think we both did, of like, why is Ares so dumb that he would agree <laughs> to fight Percy on a beach? But this in this one, he doesn't have a choice. He was just walking towards them to who knows, maybe kill them or yeah. whatever, but is kind of taunted into a, a single combat fight with Poseidon's son. Yeah. Yeah, so Percy says that the the conditions are whoever draws blood wins. It's not about killing each other. And they start sparring. And of course, because Percy is near the ocean, you don't want to mess with Percy near the ocean. Which is very similar again to the book where he uses a wave to knock Ares down mm -hmm. and is able to draw blood very lightly, just cut Ares' um, Achilles, which is interesting mm -hmm. that he mm -hmm. went there. Mm -hmm. And... Every, I love the like Annabeth and Grover watching just mm -hmm. just spectators. It's very cute. It's also just like they don't really have much that they can do in that moment. Yeah. So yeah, and Grover is kind of wanting to intervene, and Annabeth stops him. It's like, no, Percy's got this. So she clearly trusts his skill and his abilities, which is something we've seen all throughout. Like even in the the second episode, 
with capture the flag. She clearly placed him where he was because she knew that in a moment of need, he would be able to, to fight Clarice or fight Ares. I loved the wave that he makes though. It's so cool. The giant wave and he like kind of has darkness in his eyes for a moment. We get a glimpse of dark Percy and this giant wave comes and just capsizes Ares and knocks him down. And then like you said, Percy draws blood and wins the battle. But I'm wondering in this moment in the show, do you think Poseidon is helping him or is that all Percy controlling the ocean? So because of Poseidon's monologue in the last episode, I think it's supposed to hint a little Mm -hmm. bit that Poseidon is helping him because he's like, I'll be there for him when he needs me. But I think that it's almost in the way of like, oh, I'm there for him because I've given him powers because he is my son. I'm -hmm. allowing him to have these powers. It's a very hands-off way the gods are and they, Mm -hmm. they claim credit for things later. I think the thing that actually Poseidon's I am there for him when he needs me is later on Mount Olympus. Mm, yeah. I can see that. I agree. I think that Poseidon having some kind of hand in helping Percy versus Ares, though, makes it more believable to me because that was something I always, not always, not when I was a kid, but as an adult reading the book, I was like, how is this 12-year-old defeating a god? But the... The t- the reading that maybe Poseidon is helping him enhance his powers makes me believe it a little bit more. He does get a cool little, like, you don't know who I am or I know who I am mm-hmm. or whatever he says because he gets to have a moment where he gets to stand all cool and the wave comes. Oh, oh you know Walker loved that. He ate that <laughs> up. <laughs> all right, so when Percy draws blood, he wins. Ares is pissed, but he leaves behind the, uh, the helm and disappears. He holds up his side of the bargain. He does threaten Percy that he has made an enemy for life. And I was thinking, I hope that we see more of this in the show, because to be honest, Book Ares got over that way faster than he should have. He was pretty quickly like, mm, I don't have a grudge against this kid anymore. And I think it's kind of cool when the heroes have gods that hate them and are holding grudges against them. Yeah, it's like you're you're beefing with a 12-year-old. Like, get a grip, man. You're the god of war. I know. (laughs) I thought it was interesting that um, Percy is trying to talk to Ares and see if he's being manipulated by Kronos. He's like, in your dreams, is Kronos, like, there talking to you. And Ares is like, gods don't dream, which we know is not true. But it's interesting because in the book, Ares is very much more like everything happens on accident. Ares is also a lot stupider in the books a little bit where (laughs) while he's villain monologuing, he's like, shut up, you're having bad dreams. (laughs) Percy's like, we're not talking about dreams right now. He's like, you're the one who's hearing Kronos's voice. And um, then they kind of connect the dots. And Ares, when he gets knocked by the wave, wakes up from a trance in the books. In this mm-hmm. one, it's kind of implied that Ares sides with Kronos because Kronos is the more powerful being and can start yeah. the war that he wants. Yeah. So I'm curious if they're going to lean into that and Ares is going to be somebody who is kind of untrustworthy, like you're not sure which side he's going to take, which mm-hmm. is going to cause some tension with the Ares campers. Yeah. I mean, that would make sense to me and reading the books as an adult, Ares's angle is that he wants war. So why would he pick a side? Like he wants them to keep fighting forever. He yeah, doesn't want true. any side to win. Um, 
So, hmm, I wonder where they're going to go with that, if they'll go anywhere different than the books or not. Um, they end up getting called into the beach house after Aries leaves. They have a celebration. Of, the three of them are just ecstatic because Percy just beat up a god. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. And, they I mean, they've done things that they never thought they were able to do it's, uh, this entire quest. So they're just vibing. And so they go into the beach house and he hears the radio on. Which I didn't notice this. You noticed this. Because I could never understand what the radio was saying. I was just kind of like, oh, I don't know why the radio is talking. because I use closed captions. <laughs> so I, I see all of the background dialogue. <laughs> but yeah, the, the radio in the background is talking about the news and a bunch of stuff going on in the world. And storms and like weird natural disasters. Which is a way to tell the audience about how this war between Zeus and Poseidon is brewing and things are already starting to happen that are impacting the mortal world. And I really thought that Sally was going to show up, which was would mm. be really fast. Also, the fact that Percy has not given over the helm, so it doesn't make a lot of sense. But instead, we see Electo. Electo's here to take the helm and return to Hades. She's watched the whole thing. In the book, we know that Elect the Furies are watching the battle along with a bunch of the of news stations <laughs> and people, the police, because this is how Percy ends up removing himself as terrorist number one. He's like, I'm actually being held hostage by this adult man who has guns. Mm -hmm. Um... But I really loved how normal Electa was almost. Yeah. Like, she's not mad. I thought this was a great reflection of what you have been hammering into the <laughs> pod for the last, this last couple episodes of, like, what is a monster? Electo was framed as the big monster. She's been haunting Percy mm. since the beginning. But she's the one that, she, she gets the helm. Instead of, like, being like, you made an enemy for life, she's like, you actually might be able to save the world, like, there might be a world for you to live in after all, like you and your mom. And essentially yeah. almost wishes him good luck. Not really, because that would be too far. But is a lot gentler with him than Ares, a god, was. Yeah, because we know now that she was just working for Hades. She has nothing to do with Kronos, nothing to do with like random monsters that chase Percy. And Hades didn't want Percy dead. She was just trying to take him to the underworld to be able to have that exchange. Uh, she wasn't nice about it. She was not no. nice in her methods. No. But it is interesting to see her now as someone who was kind of just doing their job. Just following the, just cl trying to climb the corporate ladder. <laughs> She's just trying to climb the ladder. Can she even get a promotion? Like, what does a fury become after the fury that? of her another, dreams? The fury, another fury. <laughs> fury supreme. <laughs> um. So the deadline has passed, and now they're trying to save the world okay so electo has given them a little bit more courage so percy tells annabeth and grover he's like i gotta go return the bolt to zeus and i've got to do him myself because I've got to warn the gods about chronos i've got to do the right thing mm -hmm. neither of them are super happy about this <laughs> they also don't want percy to go by himself but i think they understand at this point that they have other jobs they have to do annabeth in the books annabeth and grover give him these gifts right before he fights Ares. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was funny that they chose to do it when he's about to face Zeus instead, where they're like, this is actually yeah. the bigger villain that he needs yeah. to face. So true. And it, they cut out Grover's gift of like a tin can, which yeah. is probably for the best. They've kind of made Grover more of a capable character. <laughs> 
instead of just chewing on cans in the background. So I respect that. But I love Annabeth giving him her necklace and she puts it around his neck. The moment where like Annabeth is tying the necklace and Percy's just looking at her, I was just like, so cute. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Like, I thought this was supposed to be, I thought it was supposed to be a slow burn. I know that boy has fallen fast and it's so fun too because their chemistry is so good that they're Mm -hmm. two phenomenal actors so their chemistry is incredible and it just like makes me excited to see what's going to happen because like that was such an intimate moment of just like oh my god especially for a 12 year old like if someone did that to me when I was 12 I would have died on the spot (laughs) in one of my crushes oh my god I, like, passed away if my crush, like, gave me a pencil in seventh oh, grade. Oh, like, said like, hi to me? Piece of gum. Oh. Oh, my God. I think I ran into a wall once because I was talking to the guy oh. I had a crush on when I was, like, in high school or middle school, and I cannot imagine. Like, these Annabeth and Percy are really keeping it together here. I know. <laughs> Very impressive. Like, yeah, they have other things going on, so I can imagine. saving the world, yeah. yeah. I was, like, just in language arts class, but, like, you know. <laughs> Percy on his, I totally can imagine Percy on his way to Olympus doodling in a notebook, just Mr. Annabeth Chase. <laughs> just in arts. <laughs> yes he's like wow swooning his whole way there (laughs) i think it's definitely enhanced by the fact that we know especially walker is a huge fan of the books and he has like people pointed out on instagram and social media like he likes those persebeth posts immediately when they're posted like you know he ships it yeah he definitely he knows where these characters are going and he is there already he's like how can i make this just so much more intense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the power to do that that'd be so much fun yeah he knows he's just playing with the fans hearts yeah i did love in this scene as well grover has this little offhanded comment as percy and annabeth are having their moment where he's like are you sure you have to go to olympus can this just be explained by email maybe mm-hmm. and percy says where's the glory in that which another great callback to luke's character in episode two where he says uh, where he talks about glory and how that's what drives him. And they're really setting up Percy as such a good foil to Luke. Also, like, it's almost done sarcastically because Percy doesn't yeah. want to do this. It's not about glory. Yeah. It's just like he's a has to, his hand has been played. He has to do it where Luke is going after glory and making a name for himself. Like That's yeah. the reason he went on the quest in the book and all of that stuff. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. And Percy also, I mean, he doesn't really have to do this. I was just thinking if Luke was in this position, he would have kept that bolt for himself. He would have been like, fuck you, Zeus. I'm going to go off and I'm going to kill my dad with it because I hate (laughs) that man. And Percy is propelled by a higher moral sense that I think Sally instilled in him. Yeah. God bless Sally Jackson. Mm -hmm. Quite literally. Yeah. Yep. Um, I loved the next scene of just Percy just slamming the bolt down on the counter because he's like, I want to mm-hmm. go to Olympus and the um, co- concierge elevator yeah, dude so. is yeah. just not having it, pretending you're playing coy. And so Percy's like, does he want this back? And so we end up getting to see our first glimpse of Olympus and it is 
beautiful. It was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The moment it like sh- was showed, I was like, this is like every historian's dream of what probably like mm. ancient Greek civilization looked like. But I definitely did, did not picture that many houses, which is crazy because I know yeah. in the books they have parties and stuff. I'm fully picturing just like Mount Olympus from the Disney movie Hercules where it's like Wasn't that like one- all clouds? It's all clouds and there's like one house at the top of Mm. the fucking mountain and that's where they're all like having a time and there's like 12 of them and that's it. There's (sighs) nobody else around. Yeah. I know in the books there were like houses described. I never really thought about like who lives there. For some reason in my mind it was everything was painted gold. (laughs) Oh, interesting. I don't think that was in the text. I think I, (laughs) I added that myself. It was just like make it all gold. Well, can you imagine now when we know in the future, in the last book, Annabeth is gifted the the chance to <laughs> yeah. redesign Olympus. She has to redesign like a whole fucking city. It's not just like yeah. a small, like a couple of temples and stuff like that. It is this like huge metropolitan area that she has. Yeah. This 15-year-old is in charge of designing. Like the pressure... Oh my god. I would burn out. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a burnout at 16 over there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's usually how the demigods go, so that makes sense. But they do usually die before they are quite young. So. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what is 16? It's like actually equivalent to 35. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Age them up a good 10 years. <laughs> 20 so years. as Percy walks towards the throne room, we get a flashback to Luke. So Luke is talking about the gods with Percy and how they like to feel big and powerful. And I really loved this moment of Luke bringing up Annabeth's fear of spiders in order to like explain to Percy the difference between big and small. Mm-hmm. And also the power yeah. dynamic of the gods. So they're, they're just, you know, cruel humans who squash things that are scary to them. Yeah, I loved Percy's reaction to this too. And Luke is like, you know, Annabeth's afraid of spiders. And we know Percy at this point is not, he doesn't know Annabeth. He's he like that like weird Annabeth. girl who's been stalking <laughs> me. And his reaction is just kind of like, okay, to Luke. And it made me laugh because Percy is clearly like, why are you talking about like this weird girl? <laughs> I also love the idea that maybe there would be some jealousy between Percy and Annabeth for Luke's affection. Because he's like the mm-hmm. cool older brother that they both want. And mm-hmm. Percy doesn't like Annabeth, so he's like, why are you talking about her when you're with me? <laughs> yeah, I'm your child that you've taken under your wing right now, not yeah. her. Um, but Luke basically says my favorite line. He's like, you don't want to be small and scary at the same time because you're going to be squashed. And first of all, I took that personally because I am same. small and scary. But at the same yeah. time, I, I do get it. Like the gods think that they need to get rid of you they just simply will so you want to be unnoticed you want to be either you need to be able to take them or you need to be unnoticed so it's just like a really great explanation of how luke views the gods mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then from that scene it immediately cuts to percy walking through olympus looking very tiny clearly being the small and scary thing that luke was talking about And he makes his way to the throne room. And this is different than in the books, 
because in the books, he's arrived on time for the solstice and all the gods are there, but here he's late. So it's just Zeus, which made me question, does Zeus just like sit around in his throne all day? He has nothing better to do. Imagining him trying on different poses before Percy comes in, like what looks more intimidating before this child walks into the room. Yeah, it's like, you know, in that like, I think it's an early episode of New Girl where Schmidt is sitting in the chair and trying to figure out all the poses. <laughs> that's exactly what was happening. It was a deep cut reference, but that's Zeus right now. Well, I also thought it was funny and also clever of the show to have sped up the timeline because this way they don't have to cast all of the gods exactly. in this moment. So they get to hold off and drop them as the seasons hopefully progress. And so... It was smart. They don't have to focus on it. Also, they can just make... It was a great juxtaposition of... We just saw Hades in the last episode where he wasn't even sitting on his throne. He kind of walks in and he's like super friendly. He asks them if they want to... They want anything to eat. He's just not overly trying to throw his power around where Zeus has been waiting for. He's waiting in his throne, sitting there. He's wearing a suit. He's looking very Mm -hmm. domineering. He looks exactly like how you picture a god who's supposed Mm -hmm. to look. And it's just very villainous. It's like to go out of your way to make a 12-year-old feel small after he's done you a favor. It's just so shitty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he makes Percy like walk towards him. He's not going to get up and ask if Percy wants anything to drink. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No nautical puns from Zeus. <laughs> so, okay, Percy informs Zeus about Cronus's rising, and Zeus is a little hesitant because he's like, I know where he is. Like, don't explain it to me. I put him in the ground. I am the one who has been monitoring him. Like, don't question my abilities. And Percy was just like, stop the war. You need to focus on Kronos. And Zeus is not willing to stop the war because he, first of all, doesn't believe that Kronos is rising and he has too much pride. There's too much going into this war. He needs to win. He doesn't care that um, Kronos... It's not that he doesn't care. He almost doesn't believe Percy. And Percy's not the great greatest vessel to be telling Zeus to surrender because mm-hmm. he's like, it's a ploy. Poseidon might be driving you and Percy of course is like super impertinent and rude so he immediately launches into the truth which is not what Zeus wants to hear which is the fact that divided his family is really weak and susceptible to Kronos and Kronos has actually been playing them the whole time and Zeus doesn't like that so he charges at Percy because he's like the reason that I'm letting you leave after you've returned my bolt to me is because you know you've told me news and you're trying to warn me which is nice but like don't push it. I want to go beat the shit out of your dad. Well, then speaking of Percy's dad, Daddy Poseidon then comes in and saves the day. He stops Zeus from killing Percy and he immediately surrenders to Zeus as well, which shows that Poseidon clearly believes his son, believes that there's something darker going on that they need to focus their efforts on. And it also really sets Poseidon up as like one of the the good gods, quote unquote, which I mean, we've talked about this in depth throughout Mm. all five books. I do think this is very in line with the books where Poseidon is kind of portrayed by the end of the first book as one of the slightly better gods. Like he has a nice heart to heart with Percy. It's, you know, Percy's like feeling better about his dad. And though we know from our own discussions throughout all five books, is he really one of the better gods? Mm. 
I also, I mean, I'm putting on my suspicious hat and I am, I'm wondering if Poseidon surrendering also is a play because he knows Percy's a forbidden child and he's yeah. like, I've surrendered, like, we don't need to go to war and there's like this bigger villain, like this whole hero act, but at the same time, he fucked up. He had a kid he wasn't supposed to. Sure, Zeus did it first, but yeah. um, there are rules and so by him surrendering and then diverting his attention away from Percy, it almost guarantees Percy's survival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is where Percy meets his dad for the first time because Zeus is like, "All right, get a control, get control on your kid. I don't want to see him again." We'll yeah, discuss Kronos when we get the whole squad together and like leaves. Um, it was very interesting because. This is their first time meeting Percy's kind of awkward, Poseidon's kind of awkward, but yeah. they're both in awe. And it was it was, it was adorable because Percy asks his dad, like, do you have dreams? Because Ares says he doesn't have dreams. And Poseidon's like, of course we do. Ares is stupid. And yeah. Percy and then instead of asking, like, where were you? What have you done? Like, why weren't you there for me? Like, all the questions Poseidon was ready to answer. He instead asks, do you ever dream about my mom? Oh, the way that this show has enhanced the fact that the heart of the story, the heart of the first book especially, is Percy's devotion to his mom and his mom's devotion to him is so fantastic. And this line, I was just like, oh, like he doesn't care about asking Poseidon about anything like about do you watch me? What are your cool powers? Whatever, like so many other things you could ask your godly parent and he asks about his mom and if he ever dreams about her well i also wonder in percy's head of like this and i'm sure and it was hinted a little bit in the book of he so percy has his mom and his mom is married to this fucking smelly gabe so he's yeah. thinking about this moment of like if poseidon shows even a little bit that he cares about sally this version of percy's dream life would be kind of like Annabeth's dream life where their parents are back together and they get to live happily ever after. And we see that in the sea of monsters where Annabeth is dream constructing her dream life. Um, And I'm sure that's like what he's asking. Did you ever, ever even love my mom or did you just get her pregnant Mm. and then leave us? Mm -hmm. Like, do you still think about her? Yeah. And then Mm -hmm. of course I laughed because Poseidon's just like, it's time to go. (laughs) One question his son has asked him in his entire life. He just sends him back down to camp. He's like, go home, little one. Brace yourself. <laughs> you know? Brace yourself, child. Shut up, man. Yeah. Ugh. So then we cut to Percy arriving at camp, and he's greeted as a hero. All the campers are clapping for him. He walks kind of towards the center where everyone is congregated, and Annabeth runs up to him and hugs him. And then she whispers in his ear because she's always plotting and scheming. And she says, do you see her? And Percy looks over to the side and we see that Clarice is there and she's still at camp. She's not in trouble at all, not being ostracized, which Percy thinks is strange. If Luke was supposed to tell Chiron about Clarice being involved and being the lightning thief. It also, I loved Clarice's just stance in this moment where she's kind of uncomfortable. She doesn't know what to do. First of all, she's already beat up on Percy. She's Percy's number one enemy. She also knows that Ares is in trouble. So she's kind of Mm -hmm. awkward. She's a defensive. She's not cheering, but she's also not like being loud and mean and disruptive. She's kind of watching Percy to see what he's going to do because 
I'm sure she doesn't approve of her father's actions to, you know, overthrow Olympus. But at the same time, she doesn't like Percy. She doesn't want to root for him. So it's a very interesting reaction shot to see her, like, just standing there awkwardly. This is She's, like, what, 14 and trying to deal with a disappointing dad. Yeah, who's been disappointing for her entire life, but mm-hmm. even more so very, like, publicly mortifying right now for the way yeah. he'd aligned himself in this conflict. Mm-hmm. So then Percy, Luke, and Annabeth are all meeting to discuss a way to tell Chiron about Clarice's involvement. Luke says that he actually never told Chiron because they never had any proof, and he didn't want to start anything without proof. So Luke says that him and Percy will get Chiron alone during the fireworks while everyone is distracted and Annabeth is going to stay and keep an eye on Clarice and her her minions. <laughs> so as they walk towards the spot where they're supposed to meet Chiron, um, Luke starts going off a little bit about how the gods suck. Because I love it. It was a beautiful... <laughs> we didn't get Ares' villain monologue. We just immediately got battle. So it was really nice that we still get Luke's villain monologue. Luke is a lot more in this compared to the books. He really wants Percy. He really doesn't want to hurt Percy. Really, In the books, Luke is kind of already done with Percy. He's like, you think you're so cool. Like, yeah, you ruined my plans and stuff. But in this one, instead of Luke being like, it is I, Percy (laughs) figures it out. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's like, you didn't tell Chiron not because you thought you were trying to save like Clarice or anything it's because you didn't want Chiron to look into it and you find that you know it was Luke all along and Luke ends up giving himself away when he's like I didn't think that you would give the shoes to Grover mm-hmm mm-hmm so Luke's like do you want to join this MLM that I'm in? <laughs> he's like fire your boss <laughs> Become your your own boss. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Make your own hours. Travel through portals now, apparently. (laughs) Which I agree. Your point about how Luke isn't so much actively trying to murder Percy. Like, he sets a scorpion, a poisonous scorpion on him in the books. He is trying to get rid of Percy in the books. This Luke is definitely a lot more sympathetic. So I can see why they're the Luke sympathizers out there really... uh, they're growing stronger with this adaptation. Also, Luke has Backbiter already, which didn't come until later. And also, which is the sword, it can open portals. Yeah, what's what like, what? that about? I don't know. That's a little... He's too powerful now. Well, I don't so know what, how they're gonna... What? What is the point of this portal? Like, what? Why? Like, could he just so, leave? He could have just walked past Talia's tree and been like, I'm leaving deuces. Like, why yeah. does he need a portal? He needs to disappear into the night. Is that super important yes. for him? I mean, it's in line with working with Kronos because Kronos loves drama. That's Kronos true. was like, here, I've got this sword for you. And here's the best part. This is its best feature. Portals. And Luke's <laughs> like, I'm in. <laughs> and it's like actually really heavy and it's going to betray you later. But yeah. portals. But portals right now. Yeah, I was like, this has implications for the future. Like Luke's just going to be able to make portals everywhere he wants. Why would it takes he- him a long time to make the portals. <laughs> it's true. not a fast process. That's true. It's he a, does it, carve it. Hold on a second. <laughs> 
he carves an H into the stone in order to create a Oh, I didn't notice that. I don't know what it is. Is it for Hades? Is it for like he's going to the underworld? Hermes. For his dad? He's like, fuck you, dad. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I didn't notice that. Before Luke is able to like, while Luke is trying to make these portals, Percy starts fighting. Because while Luke pulls out a sword and Percy panics and pulls out his sword. Yes. And Luke is trying to be like, I'm trying to recruit you in Percy's like attack. And so <laughs> it also does not help. Luke is pretty gentle. He's like trying not to hurt Percy. But when Percy brings up Hermes, mm-hmm. Luke loses it. And yeah. it's interesting because L- Percy ends up drawing blood from Luke first. But mm-hmm. and then immediately he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't mean to hurt you. Like when yep. you play fighting with a sibling and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, instead, and then you, the older sibling gets mad and retaliates. That's exactly what happens. Luke yeah. goes in harder and he's about to probably end, like kill Percy, but Annabeth shows up, who's been invisible the whole time. Don't know why. And that makes me like, think she was like already suspicious of Luke. She chose not to follow Clarice and instead to follow Percy and Luke. She was already a little bit suspicious. I think that's like a smarter idea. My thought was just like she was like, I don't want. I, I it's like feeling a bit of FOMO and just like decided <laughs> yeah. to see what was taking everyone so long. Heard them arguing and like put on her invisibility hat. Yeah, maybe she asked Grover to keep an eye on Clarice and was like, I'm gonna go do this instead. Yeah, which is interesting because in the books. When Percy comes and tells Annabeth, Annabeth believes him very quickly, which is very yeah. nice. But she's immediately sympathetic to Luke. Like, oh, yes. man, like someone got in his head. Whereas we see here, Percy, uh, Annabeth is ready to kill him. She's She's done. mad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because she heard his whole monologue and his whole, like how he was involved in his background in this. And she is betrayed more so than Percy. Like Percy's the one, quote unquote, getting betrayed in the scene because... Luke's fighting him actively, but Annabeth is really the one that is betrayed deep down. Yeah. And I think it's very interesting because Percy's reaction to being betrayed is to be sad boy. Annabeth's reaction to being betrayed or let down is just immediately violence. Yeah. I do love that they they have changed Annabeth and Luke's relationship and that Annabeth doesn't have a weird crush on him anymore, which would look really strange in the show adaptation where they are age accurate and Annabeth is like this tiny little thing and Luke is a full adult. It's a little <laughs> bit weird, the the romance angle between them. So I'm glad that they're changing that. But this definitely yeah. has implications for for Annabeth to have seen that monologue, to have lost that trust in Luke when... I mean, maybe she hasn't completely lost it. She's known him for a lot longer. Maybe she has faith that he will. He will change. I hope that they keep that because I did love that, like, friction between Percy and Annabeth in the series of Percy being like, why don't you believe me that Luke is just evil? Like, why do you keep protecting him? Whereas maybe Percy's going to be the one who keeps defending Luke in this one because mm. he doesn't feel as deeply betrayed he liked luke a lot maybe he sees a little bit where luke is coming from but annabeth is more of like they hurt me cut him off like moving yeah. on yeah mm. i'm interested we'll to see what direction they go same same yeah 
But Luke disappears in his magic portal, which is like, Ooh. okay, bye. I'm just going to leave the front door, but yeah. sure. Like, you could have just left, but no, I he know. had to make an entrance. I mean, he they would have chased him and stopped him. Maybe, maybe he can't run very fast. I don't know. Maybe he's like, hey, I can't outrun Annabeth. Like, well, I understand that he was there to maybe recruit Percy, but I think it would have made more sense to have peaced out before Percy got home. Yeah. Like, clearly yeah. your mission has failed. True. Time to cut your losses. But he's like, I'm going to stick around because I can... This is like maybe he thought he was still smarter than them. I can manipulate yeah, them. Yeah. Or he really thought he had a chance to take Percy under his wing. He just wanted to do his villain monologue and his he portal did. magic. <laughs> he's like, look at the tricks I can do with my wand. Look at this. This is what you get if you come to Kronos' side. <laughs> magic magic swords. All you have to do is kill your parents. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Easy. Easy. <laughs> so it's interesting because in the book... Percy doesn't get betrayed until the end of the summer. He notices Luke getting more and more, like, angry as the summer goes on. At the end of the summer, he confront basically, he gets confronted while they play capture the flag, and the scorpion ends up stinging Percy. But in this one, it's pretty immediate. So we have to assume that then camp passes and things have happened. Luke is clearly enemy number one. But what we end up having to see is that... um. Percy's leaving and camp is over. It's mm-hmm. end of the term. Time to go home. Basically, Percy's not the same guy he was when he walked in. He says bye to Chiron and Mr. D, who like doesn't remember his name. Classic. <laughs> Classic Mr. D. Classic Mr. D. He meets Annabeth to, uh, by the Talia tree and just Annabeth is talking to her. And Annabeth is going to see her dad. They're going to go to Disney World they're going to spend some time together. Annabeth is like, I've done the research on how I should behave at Disney World. I know. <laughs> She's Percy's like, I don't think it'll attack me. And Percy just laughs. Percy's like, can you chill for two seconds? Yeah. Grover's got his searcher's license, which is just a flower pinned to his shirt, pinned to his lapel. And so <laughs> he's very excited. They're all very excited for the new adventures that they're going to have. And so they're like, Percy has this moment where he's like, We'll all meet here next time, exact same time next year. And season two, season two. That's what I thought. I was like, what a great like scene for Disney to use to announce season two. I personally would love it. Would love it yeah. if they have done it earlier, but I hope that's what they do. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Um, but like the same time next year, I'm like Christmas time. I feel like that's a little, it's harder to like get these episodes out in Christmas time, you know? So <laughs> I know. Us. But they Disney maybe wants to focus on their summer movies and they need to film during oh, yeah. the summertime. So it's going to make true. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a great way to announce it. Mm-hmm. See, this is why I get confused on if time has passed or if they all just kind of wrap up in this moment because Percy's like, I have to go see if my mom has been returned by him. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like if they had waited all of July to go home, <laughs> like in the books, he gets a letter from his mom to be like, Hey, I'm back. Also, I killed Gabe. So <laughs> good. You're good to come home, kid. <laughs> yeah. In this one, he's like, I have to go see if Hades has returned my mom. So I'm actually now retracting my early statement. I think it's like pretty, like Luke is enemy number one. Two days later, Percy's like packed up and ready to go back home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Annabeth's like, I'm out too. If Percy's gone, Luke is gone. My only friend's here. I'm, yeah, and Grover's I'm leaving. I'm going home. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so then Percy heads off to go see if Hades has returned his mom yet. And then we get a shot of Percy at the Montauk cabin, and he's reuniting with Sally. And this is a very sweet moment when they see each other and hug. I think both actors have done a really wonderful job at bringing these characters to life. Though the scene then changes, and it turns out this was a dream. And it made me wonder, did, is this how they reunited, actually? Is Percy just, like, dreaming about a memory? That's what I'm hoping, because mm. I liked this reuniting scene. Um, but it's a dream, and Kronos is at the door himself, and he says, I need your survival for my evil plans. <laughs> and then Percy wakes up, and he's in his New York apartment, and his mom is waking him up for the first day of seventh grade. It's so funny to me that Kronos is like, super creepy he's come up fine this is the closest he's been to percy in all of the series the season so far and percy is so over it Mm -hmm. is like you know waddling up to him and percy's like seriously dude can you leave me alone like it's so gen z of just being like get out of my dream man you're embarrassing yourself like come up with something better like all he does is just show up in dreams and say something ominous like get better chronos it's like his costume is shitty he can't even dream (laughs) himself a new wardrobe like that's so pathetic it's like i can't even see your face like i don't even (laughs) know um percy wakes wakes up from his dream and he basically tells his mom that i saw chronos again he calls him granddad and his mom yeah. is like, please don't ever say that yeah um but sally's like we got to take notes this these are important dreams are important and it's like now they can have an open discussion about percy being a demigod like it's no longer this like thing that she's trying to damp down because she's trying to protect him they're able to have really like intense conversations and she's able to help him i really love how seriously she takes it she's like well take notes we're gonna have to bring this up in council i'm gonna email chiron as soon as you're gone like we're gonna talk about it (laughs) so then when sally is like what did chrono say in your dreams and percy's like he told me to tell my mom how great she is and how much i love her and sally's like really Mm -hmm. that's what he told you chronos (laughs) the evil overlord told you that um but it's really cute it's very cute. It's also very much like Percy's such a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We see a little montage of Percy getting ready for his first day of school, full with blue pancakes and blueberries. Mm-hmm. And per- uh, Sally is getting ready to head out with him. And they're like gearing up almost as if they're going to battle. And it's fun because Percy's monologuing, very similar monologue to what he said in the beginning but instead of being like i didn't want to be a demigod he's like calling out to the viewers to be like if you've ever felt out of place maybe you're one of us which is like the one of the main reasons especially i think when these books first came out so many people fell in love with it is because it's such a like and like a lovely thing to imagine that you are you belong somewhere and at least you can find comfort in these books and in these characters in a world that maybe you feel like you would fit in. And he's mm-hmm. honoring that by being like, you are one of us and like we need yeah. you. We need you to be strong and to take care of yourself because the fight is coming and you're important to us. And it was very sweet. It's so cute. I love that. Love that aspect of the books. Okay. Well... Then the credits roll. (laughs) But then we have a scene after the credits. It's not over yet, folks. Uh, We see Gabe. He is in the apartment hallway. He's on the phone talking to someone about how 
Sally changed the locks, how she's divorcing him, and he is clearly wanting to get back into the apartment for something or just to be a dick. And he sees a package at the doorstep addressed return to sender to Percy from the gods on Olympus. So, of course, he has to open it. <laughs> I love how he's also yelling at his lawyer to like, yeah, like, about his fees. He's like, why is it my problem that you have law school loans? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whatever. What a dick. But I loved this change because we've been debating for a bit on how they were going to be able to do this since Gabe isn't violent and he is he's like he's just a deadbeat he's not yeah abusive he's not in a justifiable way that the viewers would root for Sally to murder him this is he (laughs) he ends up getting frozen because he's committing a crime he's harassing his ex-wife and he's opening Percy's mail he's in someone else's business and he's Immediately, he faces the consequences for that. And I thought that was perfect. I do wonder what people would do. Like when Sally and Percy come home and there's a frozen Gabe holding a box with Medusa's mm-hmm. head. Like, do they have to move yeah. him outside? Do they have to call their landlord? Like, what do they do? I hope she sells him. <laughs> make some money. So yeah. If they sell him. Make some money. I mean, if I were her, I would probably just send him to like Medusa's Emporium and put him there among her statue collection or something. True. I also Not that she's there anymore, but you know. We also don't know what Sally's job is in this because in the books True. it's very like she sells candy at the store. In this one we don't know. She could be, you know, well-paid job and Gabe is just mooching off of her, so maybe she doesn't need the money. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they just keep it as decor. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be so scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Terrifying. Alrighty. Well, that's the end of episode eight of the series. It's the end of the series. I thought this was a great ending. I love that how it wrapped things up. And I was so glad that they included Gabe getting frozen. That was going to be the one thing that I really missed. And I think they they fit that in really well. And it was very funny as an after the credits little bonus scene as well. I completely agree. I think that the changes that they made in the beginning of the season played out really well. They made sense for the the things that like they they didn't try to cut corners and make changes and then not keep up with them as the show progressed. It made sense. And obviously there are things that I'm still I still have questions about Annabeth. Why was yeah, she not stuck in Asphodel? Yep. No one is telling me these things. There's a couple of things that I wish that they hadn't changed and Obviously, um, we have a lot more to talk about as the show of overall, since, you know, we don't want this to be end up being like a six hour episode. So I think what we'll do is yeah. our last episode, next episode, we'll do like kind of a bonus wrap up. We can bring back our season superlatives. Um, Aaron's going to put that on Instagram. If you haven't noticed, yeah. Aaron's been killing it on Instagram with Thank our you. memes and comments that are so out of pocket i love 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 seeing it um but so go on instagram and vote for your favorite characters and the moments from this season for the show either what we talked about or overall the show itself it's gonna be cool to compare it to um well i mean it's gonna be interesting to compare it to our superlatives from the first season because Ooh, that's a good idea yeah but our first season was the entire oh, it was the whole first series yeah yes 
So Never it's going to be interesting. <laughs> there might be some characters that aren't in this season, but we can see what just what is somewhat close. Yeah, for sure. And we'll also include some of the audio messages we've gotten. We definitely won't be able to include all of them. And so if you send us one and don't end up hearing it, it is not personal. It is simply a matter of time and space. Um, but yeah, we will have that come out. And I think we'll probably go back to Monday release for a wrap up and have that out on the 12th of February. So you have a little bit of time to digest the season and everything mm -hmm. like that. So we'll have that come out, but we'll save any of our, our wrap up discussions for then. And let's get into our lightning bolt questions. Are you ready? Yes, I am. Okay. So our rewind question is from episode eight. It is how long would you last fighting Aries? I, if we said anything besides immediately die, I yeah. feel like we were just like really in our ego era. I don't know, <laughs> man. I cannot imagine. Like this Aries seems a little stupid. Mm -hmm. Maybe not as he's like a different kind of stupid than the books. You know what I mean? Like yes, he's kind of like a himbo in this versus the books where he's just dumb. Yeah. But I don't think I could even insulting him. He doesn't seem like he's somebody who would let me get a lot of insults in. Yeah, I think he would actually like being insulted. It would fuel him. Um. I, yeah. Seconds, maybe. I think I would be mm -hmm. like, let's fight, and then to be dead. Yeah, same. I think Rover's tactic in the, what episode was that? Episode five, where he like manipulates him by praising his best wards. Maybe that could get you some time, but I don't think I would last long. I think I'd actually run away. I don't think yeah. I would fight him. I would run. But then I think he would catch me because he's a god and he's pretty That's fast. That's true. Does he have a portal sword? <laughs> he has a motorcycle, so he's mm. still faster than me. <laughs> true. True. Let's I can't see, I'm curious. How we talked for two minutes about this. Yeah, I'm really <laughs> curious what we said because I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how we would say anything else. Okay. <laughs> My next question is: How long would you last fighting Ares? <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I would um immediately die. Same. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think yeah. <laughs> I am not physically strong. Um, pre-pandemic, I would have said at least. I mean, sorry. Middle and beginning of pandemic, I would have said that I was at least fit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, winter came. But no, yeah, I would die immediately. I would not, first of all, get into a fight with Ares. I have no yeah, beef same. with Ares. Like, if he wants to go make war, he's going to go make war. Like, it has nothing to do with me. Um, I just talk about him behind his back. Like, I'm not a fan of war, but no. I'm not. I'm not looking to start a fight with the god of war. Though I would be like, why are you even here? We have Athena, who is like the goddess of war, but also is the goddess of wisdom. So like, mm, what is your purpose, sir? And then he just zap you. <laughs> he just murder me. <laughs> I do think, um, yeah, I wouldn't last any time. I have been, I mean, before the pandemic, I was getting into kickboxing and only lately I've been doing cardio kickboxing. So me and my like pop sugar fitness videos, I'll be like, <laughs> ready to go. I'll be like, side hook. <laughs> and then he'd there murder me. <laughs> yeah. he'd be like, Why? He's like, I have a double-ended sword and you have your fists. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
I love the idea of you announcing your um, battle move like a Pokemon. Just like, go Charizard. Yeah. Psyduck, go. That's how they should fight, I think. (laughs) Well, I'm glad we both didn't think we could fight him then. And we don't think, we haven't grown at all in this aspect. Um, It is fun that we both started diving into our fitness levels of the time as if it mattered <laughs> as if that mattered i'm like okay what am i gonna do hold downward dog against aries i can't even do that for that long anyway <laughs> pull your hamstring on accident <laughs> yeah um well, the question that i thought of for this one is where would you go with a magic portal sword um i think that it would be nice to visit my friends without mm-hmm. having to commute I think it'd make yeah. life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, just like little things. Cause I think big, like it'd be nice to go like travel the world using portals, but half the fun of traveling the world is like the, the traveling. It's about the climb, Erin. Oh, I do not journey. agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the traveling part. Well, we know your, travel. your literal hell would be throwing <laughs> up on an airplane. So. Exactly. Exactly. This way you can throw up after you exit the portal. I can't imagine portal traveling. I imagine kind of like um, shadow traveling with Nico. Yeah. You just have to vomit as soon as you reach yeah, the Yeah, and you like pass out immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would go somewhere right now. Somewhere sunny and warm sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. Or going to Europe would be cool. It would be I nice to be travel. like... Yeah. Yeah, just to be like, oh, I want really want like some really good pasta and just like Ooh. portal into Italy and get something to eat and come back or portal to like different parts of the world and have their cuisine or lay on a beach for a little while, something that you don't have at the moment and then just come that's, back. That's what Luke should be using the sword for. Gee, for what an vacation idiot. Vacation and food yeah. block. He just needs like, a vacation. <laughs> Luke becomes famous for being a YouTube food vlogger, <laughs> traveling That's what the he world. Been, you know, he like he so much done that. money. Yeah. Oh, come on, Luke. Silly boy. <laughs> yeah, and he's a child of Hermes, who's like all about travel, so he'd be extra good at it. Exactly. Ugh, Ugh wasted opportunity. Mm-hmm. Too focused yeah. on revenge. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I always get questions like these, so I thought I'd throw them out because people love answering them. So which of the seven do you think would most likely use a portal creating sword for evil? Oh, not Jason. No. Not Annabeth. Not Hazel. Not Frank. Leo, for sure. I honestly feel like post-trials of Apollo Piper could do it. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Her arc, like, she's gone through it, you know? I think she would do it. She'd be a good villain. She'd be a really fun villain, especially with the ability she's to, so like, charm good. speak. Yeah, she could just open portals and, like, whisper into them, and it would oh. manipulate people. I would manipulate so many, like, lawmakers. Yeah, just like suddenly in the White House. Like, get behind. It's her biggest barrier, she needs to get up close and personal. So, if she's able yeah. to open a portal, she's able to get through those closed doors. Mm-hmm. She should do it. She could become I'd president. Read that. Yeah. yeah. I would say Leo at first because I was just like, he just seems chaotic. I feel like he'd just yes. like, open a portal, throw a fireball, and close the portal and just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, he would. <laughs> 
All right. Okay. So that it's this is a little bit of a long episode. These all have been long. We have a lot to They've talk been so about. Long. I know. Thank you for bearing with us. We wanted to go but through. We have a lot of thoughts. We don't get to talk about these with each other until we do these episodes. So obviously we have to hash out every single detail and moment. Yes. Duh. But thank you so much for listening to us. And um, basically, again, we're going to do our proper wrap up next episode mm-hmm. and get to talk about what's next for Camp Half Pod. You know, we have to figure that out and get your guys's input as well before we move forward with our plans. Indeed. So make sure y'all listen to that episode. Don't just tap out on this one. I promise it'll be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also join our Patreon at the link below if you are interested in reading any of our old episode outlines as well. Um, there's a link to send us an audio message, which is going to be in the episode description. Um, we are playing some of those in the next episode. We also just love to hear them. I yeah. tend to become quite emotional, apparently. <laughs> so that's something new I learned about myself. So thank you so that's much. Fun. <laughs> Unearthing things. Yeah. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Camp Half Pod, and you can email us camphalfpod at gmail.com. If you haven't already, um, please rate and review us wherever you listen. Bye-bye. Bye.